If you ask the best in the world the single greatest secret to success, they'll smile and give a gentle laugh. You're asking the wrong question. Being extraordinary is not a single element. It cannot be distilled down to one thing. We're told that being a success is a magical thing that happens in a place you'll arrive. The hard part is that this long-held truth is the biggest lie. Extraordinary features humans that have reached the top of their field and become extraordinary humans. The door to being extraordinary is now open. Will you walk in? Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of Extraordinary. I'm your host, Jeremy Slate, and it is the 20th of October, 2020, and today we're looking at an extraordinary human being. Um, I'm excited to get a chance to chat with you guys and share a really awesome episode that I really enjoy putting together. This comes back from August of 2019. Uh, an interview that I did with three-time Indy 500 champion Elio Castro Neves. And the thing that was really exciting to me is I remember way back in 2001, there was this brand new unknown driver, and he's in the Indy 500 for the very first, I think it was either the first or the second time, it was very early in his career, and he wins the race. And his name is Elio Castro Neves. And he wins one more since then. And it's interesting because I think to win at that level is, it, it's got to be extremely hard. Like, I can't even imagine, like, you know, driving down the highway fast for me can be scary sometimes. I can't imagine what it's like, you know, like where, you know, the car is almost a part of you. You have to react, you have to move. And the reason I find him extraordinary is actually an event that happened to him way back in 2009, and that was actually um, a year when he had a really big problem with uh, the IRS, and he had, you know, all this pressure on him about that. There was a lot of things in the news, things were swirling around him, and that year, in May of that year, which is when the Indianapolis 500 runs, he wins his third Indy 500. Um, he was later cleared of any wrongdoing with this situation, but it, it took a long time for it to happen because, you know, courts and things like that just move really, really slow. So he has this immense pressure on him, more pressure than any human being can imagine. And he goes out and wins a third Indianapolis 500. So not only is he doing one of the most difficult things in the world, like, I don't think a lot of people understand, like, you know, they hear the speeds at racetracks, like you look at a stock car, like a like a NASCAR stock car, and, you know, they go fast, but you look at what Elio drives, and it's called an open wheel car, right? Like the driver's, his head's outside of the car, he's got, a, you know, some a protective bar above the head to a certain point, but it's sitting behind him, like his head is totally exposed, the wheels of the car are exposed, and these guys go fast, like really fast, like they're going into a, into a corner at Indianapolis Raceway, at like 220 miles an hour, like that, the, the G-force, the reaction to be able to do that, it, it's just got to be insane. So he has this crazy moment all around him, like this, you know, really difficult time in his life. And he goes out and wins his, wins his third Indianapolis 500. Like that is incredible. And the thing that really struck me is I, I asked him about this in this interview, and you're going to hear this. And when he explains you know, why he was able to do that, to me, I look at that and I'm like, that is why this individual is extraordinary. Like, that's it right there. 
it's dealing with the pressure. It's looking at the pressure as something like, hey, I'm going to make this go. I don't care. I'm going to block the world out and I'm going to do it. And, and that is why I find today's guest extraordinary. If you guys enjoy this interview, um, do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe over there. If you're listening to us on Spotify, subscribe there as well. Leave us a review wherever you're listening to because that support does help to support the show and helps us to you know, really help and impact more people, which is always what I'm trying to do. Um, and if you heard the first episode of this show, the big reason I'm doing this is actually to support the launch of my new book, Extraordinary, which is really based on all the interviews I've done on my previous podcast. If you haven't heard that, it's called The Create Your Own Life Show. It's still out there. You know, We have new episodes coming out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, but these are some of, I guess, the greatest hits from that podcast that I'm really kind of recutting in a way to to take a look at what makes them extraordinary. So we're actually, uh, as I mentioned, I have a book coming out next year called The Extraordinary, but we're doing this in a little bit of a different fashion as we're doing a crowdfunding campaign around that. And we're actually having books available for pre-order now. We have some really cool offers as well to help raise the money that we need to raise to get this book out there and make it a reality. So if you could help me to support that uh, crowdfund for Extraordinary, the book that's going to be over at jeremyryanslate.com slash extraordinary. I would just appreciate the support and I hope you enjoy this inter- interview with Elio Castroneves, who I find extremely extraordinary. Welcome to Create Your Own Life Show, Elio Castroneves. Oh, uh, thank you. I appreciate it for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, Elio, um, I, you've been at the top of the sport of open wheel racing for a long time, but I want to kind of go back to the beginning and and growing up in Sao Paulo. Like, how did you find racing? Because I know here in here in New Jersey, like you know, if you, if if you wanted to get into it, you go to the dirt track and you race quarter midgets or whatever. But how did you get into open wheel racing? Yeah, my father used to love race cars. However, he used uh, his background uh, sales in used cars, and then he ended up going completely through a different route. But he always watched TV racing, special Formula One down in Brazil, and I used to watch with him and uh, playing with my matchbox, kind of like forming this racetrack, imaginary racetrack, and start playing until he got involved in making a team, stock car in Brazil. So he ended up building a team and for a few races. So he actually had a company. It starts basically using the name of the company for race, putting on the, on the logo of the car. So he used that as a marketing tool and taking me along sometimes kind of like, oh, this is really cool. And, you know, I keep <laughs> it like behind the steering wheel, imaginary driving, you know, and until um, the middle of the season, one driver gave me a go-kart that I start, you know, in my hometown, going around in the neighborhood. And I was like, this is really cool. Until finally, uh, my dad ended up getting me a, a real go-kart. From there on, I, I just fell in love. Until finally, 1987, that was the first year that I actually entered. My father entered to a championship in Sao Paulo, which was the capital. Uh, a kid coming from from a small town, going to a big city, it was very uh, intimidating. But I kind of like enjoy start making friends. I think that's probably why I, I fall in love with the sport because it wasn't only about the racing it was about this, this community this huge neighborhood let's put it this way uh, away from my neighborhood so it was really cool uh, to have this kind of education and understanding and growing up so uh, it was uh, probably the pivotal point for me to even fall in love with the sport 
Sure. And then, and how do you go from that stage um, to the big international stage? You, you were in the cart series for many years. You were uh, in the indie racing series for years. So, so how did you go from, you know, that kid making it, making it work and really doing it in Sao Paulo to, to racing in the bigger series? Yeah, well, from there on, you're just um, going to different, uh, you know, levels, just like a school, you know, you're getting better, you're getting wins, you're getting good results. So uh, you move up to the next level and, and obviously, um, up to 1994, that's when I uh, did my last season in uh, F3 South America. And that's when I uh, moved to um, uh, England in 1995, racing the Formula 3, uh, British Formula 3. So it was interesting because I finished third in the championship, right there battling the championship uh, battle with Oliver Gavin and another uh, teammate, Ralph Furman. And from there, one of my sponsors said, you should. Uh, we were excited to do some Brazilian, Brazilian team in America. And I'm like, wow, well, I just want to keep going to Europe. So, well, the thing is, we want to sponsor in America and not in Europe. So I was like, okay, you know what? America, here we go. And that's why I ended up um, coming in 1996. Still keep, again, getting better and better. 1998, when I started in IndyCar. And do the same love that I was a gold card. You know, that's what I love about well, you're a three-time Indy 500 champ, and uh, you won it for the first time in 2001. What is it like competing on that level of a stage? And you know, like, like really, what does it take to win at that that level? Because I imagine it just must be more more of a challenge um, with all the the you know things around it in comparison to other races you're in. Well, we're talking about the big spectacle in racing, the biggest race in the world, the toughest race in the you can possibly imagine because it's three hours the pure sprint tradition is incredible it's over 100 years of racing plus we're talking about over 230 miles an hour and you know it, it's it, it's a, it's a, it's no question a battle but the place is, is magical i always say because even if you have the best car the best skill best teams the track doesn't pick who's the winner forget about it you know yeah it's all about being in the right place in the right time so I'm very fortunate to uh able to accomplish those three near miss few ones as well three times uh, to be honest but we'll keep chasing we'll keep going and hopefully um we can get that elusive number four sure and you know to win it the first time is so difficult but i i imagine you know it's got to be even harder to repeat on that because you know you, you you've done it before but some sometimes the hardest thing can be to follow that up so you know winning the additional two do you feel like that was harder or was that easier in comparison for you yeah, and at the time, people were talking about it, and I was like, uh, in 2002, I think the it was 30 years, 31 years, until that point that since somebody did the back-to-back or won a back-to-back, that was the, the our senior. So I'm like, well, different times, it's, it's going to be hard to do it, but you know what? I'm here to win. I don't care. The, the, the statistics at this point, I have a great team, and I have a, an incredible, I know what I need to do. I done last year, so... All of a sudden, that's when I say the adversity and how the place picks you because I was about to be a lap down. Car was set up, was really tough. We spent a month there, but somehow, somehow we missed, missed the setup. However, there was one small opportunity that everybody picked and we didn't because we, we picked like a couple of laps before. I did have to work on a few so that we can finish the race, but it's still going to be a really short uh, gamble that the team decides to take because it's best to have a gamble, try to finish first, than actually just staying in 15th position, which back then that's the best position I was running. So it's just to show that when I crossed the finish line uh, or actually two laps before when the, uh, the yellow came in, I'm like, 
this is this is crazy. This is unbelievable. So <laughs> very uh, very glad uh, that we were able to get that one. Well, I, I guess my question would be then as a driver, like, you know, if you're a professional football player, baseball player, like there's certain skills you're working on, like maybe you're trying to throw that fastball harder, you're trying to do different things. Like as a driver, what are you focusing on to really get to be the best at what you do? Like, like, what do you feel like are the things that every day you're trying to keep working on so you're the best? You know, the toughest thing in, in any kind of sports, not only in racing, but in any kind of sport is to maintain the competitiveness, it's to maintain the skills, it's to maintain the the rhythm to be on top. That's one of the things that I actually um, spoke many years ago. Uh, someone say, oh, I never got a championship. I said, yes, you're right. It's something that I never got. But in all these years that I've been with in racing in IndyCar, if you're thinking about 20 years, uh, no, actually, yeah, 20 years, only four times in my career, four times I have been out. I wasn't in the, in the, top, in the top 10. So actually in the top five, I'll wow. take that back. So only, only four times in 20 years. So if you think that through, I'm always, and that's why it gives me, it, it gives me, it keeps me going. It keeps me going because, okay, I didn't, that door never opened. Why never opened? It's because it was a lack of competition. It was a lack of because interest or not, I wasn't working hard. It was just wasn't meant to be because I was there every year. And again, uh, I'm, yeah. Uh, I would like love to have had a championship in my career, but in the end of the day, it's just the way it is. It wasn't meant to be, but I, but at least I was always there, to make sure that um, I have that. And I think that's the most in any kind of sport in any kind of career. Absolutely. Well, I, I imagine you know what you're talking about keeping your interest and and the stress of it and everything else. And you know, it's it was only since 2011 we lost. Uh, former Indy 500 champion Dan, or Indy 500 winner Dan Weldon, how do you balance the danger of what you do with also taking the risks that you need to win? Because I, you know, when you're winning a race, you're taking some pretty substantial risks. So how do you balance the danger of what you do with with the risk of what you do? You got to learn how to separate. It, it's just like fear. You got to learn how to deal with that. I know everybody, or human being, has fears, feelings of fear, and uh, you just gotta. Some people are able to, you know, block that in a normal way, and some people it makes it a little harder. So in our in our sport, you just gotta uh, able to see that we understand the dangers of it, we know the risk of it, but at the same time, we love it. If you were to tell me to do something else, probably I wouldn't be happier. And, <laughs> and and that's why I it's a very strange thing to say, but that's what I love to do. It's a shame that we lost a lot of colleagues during my my career. Those unfortunately losses, we're able to improve safety so that it doesn't happen again, but still, it's a dangerous sport. Absolutely. Well, I, I guess, you know, talking about danger and also the physicality of what you do, what, what is the toll on your body as a driver? And, and how do you also maintain yourself through a race? Because, you know, it's to, to me, it would seem like it's, it's running a marathon out there besides driving the car for, for three, four hours. So what is that like for you? And how do you get yourself through a race? Well, certainly people don't believe that race car drives or some some people that under, don't understand our sport make comments that don't don't think we're uh, athletes because we don't carry the, the car or we don't run with the car or we don't push the car. So it's a little bit uh, different ways. When you support the um, G's over three three to five G's in the corner uh, for two hours and and holding, you know, the car is basically able to hold about two to three thousand pounds of downforce. So imagine wow. those downforce pushing the car down. Obviously, that's not the weight we carry, but translate some of it into the steering wheel. We don't have power steering. In IndyCar, we don't have power steering wheel. Now that I'm in a sports car, we have it. 
However, the cockpit sealed. There was no air inside. So when you when you're talking about that, I mean, it, it, and to maintain the focus because it's different when you have a football or uh, that you uh, special football that you okay, you're running a sprint for uh, 30 seconds and then you take a, a breather and or drink water and go back. For us, there was no time to stop. Mm-hmm. That's why it becomes extremely hard uh, to maintain the focus over 200 miles an hour for for two and a half hours because there is no you can't blink because if if you blink or if you put a foot away from the line it could be catastrophic well i guess talking about that concentration one of the major differences between open wheel racing and, and stock car racing like nascar is you don't have to go to the pits to make a lot of changes there's a lot of changes you can make as a driver in the car so how do you make those changes as a driver while still, you know, driving the car safely and competitively and whatnot? Well, we have several tools inside the machine that uh, you're able to uh, do in practice. It's not only in the race, but during practice, you can try it out so you understand what's happening. You know, the tire deg, the tire degradation basically gives sometimes some indications that what you need to do. So we have the front and rear bars that you can change. You have the weight jacket that moves the weight from right to left from the from the car. Those things that you basically... Uh, you also can help in driving sometimes, can save fuel and help in the tire degradation, you know, don't drive too hard into the corner. Things like that, there was able, things that you can do to uh, keep the performance. But but obviously, along the years, you learn. And uh, plus, when you pit, they can change a little bit of the downforce, they can change the front wings and things like that, give a little entire pressure as well. So it gives a little help sometimes when you give your feedback to the engineer. Absolutely. Well, well, looking at longevity, longevity as a driver, you know, when, when do you decide that, you know, maybe it's too much in your body or maybe like it's time to move on? Like, like, how do you take a look at that? And when do you decide, like, you know, like, should I consider that or shouldn't I consider that? So how do you look at longevity as a driver? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, I would still be an Indy car. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't my decision. It was an opportunity that Team Penske saw it moving me to the sports car program. I've been here for, as I said, 20 years. And I said, why do I, do I try and find something else or not? But as my decision, I feel that race car drivers today, they really are athletes. It's just a number. You see a lot of race car drivers, they do triathlon, they do a biathlon, they, uh, they, they work out very, very, very hard. So I do believe today it's, um, it's a different day. It's just a number age. I think uh, what it prevents you to keep going is, I guess, the fire inside you. Mm. Uh, if you don't have that sparks anymore, probably the time for you to say, ah, I'm done. So I guess at a certain point, you don't have that, that drive or you don't want to take, take those same risks anymore. Well, I believe that's what's going to happen. It's not only about the risk because you, you, you know so much about the car. I think it's more about, yeah, you, 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 you know, eager to, uh, to push you know, to make a better lap times, you're eager to push to make an overtake. Yes, uh, uh, it's it's more about, I believe, the competition. You know, eager to work to make things better, eager to work to go out there to track practice. You know, there is a lot to do with that. So, I, I, right now, I can't live without the racing at the moment. <laughs> Well, Elio, we have we have some listener questions that we took for you, um, and we have from uh, one of our Brazilian listeners. We have from uh, Victor Salinas in uh, São Paulo. He says, "In two thousand nine was a very stressful year for you, but you still managed to win the Indy five hundred. How do you keep yourself uh, the stress of your life 
out of your life while you're on the track? Like, how do you kind of manage those two things? That's a great question. Um, you know, people don't realize when, well, first of all, when you actually at a work that you love at a place that you really like to be uh, in the environment, it becoming, it, you want to stay there. In racing for me, it's, um, I, I, it sounds like uh, it, it, it's almost like a therapy, I would say, because um, <laughs> you, you can actually don't think anything else other than racing. So it takes your mind away from all of the, the problems, for all of the issues, for everything. You don't think about wife, kids, girlfriends, uh, or money problem or whatever. It, it's, it's just about doing that. As I said, it takes so much energy to be focused that basically you don't have time. You don't, it, it, your mind so consumed with so much information that the car is giving to you, the car, the track, the weather, that you got to get attention so hard so that you can translate that to give to the engineer. So for me, being back after all the scenario that I had was going through 2009, it was a perfect scenario. So I was able to, my environment that I know, not with all the noise aside, and that's probably why I was able to uh, win the Indy 500. Very cool. We have another question from Truman in New Jersey. Um, you've been in the sport for quite a while and a lot has changed um, in the sport in that time. For you as a driver, what is the biggest changes you've had to, to deal with and how have you handled that? You know, I went from uh, V10s, uh, almost a thousand horsepower to cars that was running uh, 500 horsepower. And so imagine that these days the car is about 800 or 750 in the car. Inside is probably about 600. But when you when you're talking about all these numbers of power technology, so it's able to overcome those offsets, meaning you know 230 miles an hour, 240 miles an hour, we're still doing average the same lap time that what used to be back then when you used to go 250 miles an hour in some places. So you're like, what are you talking about? So. Imagine you straight away, you're going that fast, 240, 45 miles an hour. Wow. But in the corner, you drop about 200. Now we're going about, okay, 240, but now we only drop 10 miles an hour in the corner. So we're still doing 230s in the corner. So that's just to show that uh, the aerodynamics of the car, the able that they, uh, in the computer, translate exactly the performance that you want to do into the race car, plus, plus, competition started why it, back then you used to practice so much more now because of the cost because of the uh, you know traveling and and, and, and the, the amount of the money you, you spend you're able now to use simulators so now you have so many more people able to do that and, and, and achieve to the limit so the margin of uh, separating a phenomenal driver to a, a good driver it, it's just shrank so much because of people able to improve their skills and, and, and things like that. So technology definitely uh, made things um, harder. And, 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 but again, nothing can take away experience. Experience is still extremely a way for you to get to the, to the direction faster mm -hmm. and, and have some shortcuts as well to get there. So it, it's still good driver, good experience driver is always um, good in my mind. Absolutely. Well, we, we talk to people that are world-class at what they do, just like yourself, Elio. And if you had to look at everything you do, what would you say is your biggest skill? And, and how do you feel like you've developed that? I don't know, man. It's, it's hard to talk uh, about me. I think I try to extract as much as I can from the car. I'm meaning, give me anything that I'll, 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 I'll 
try everything that I can do to uh, <laughs> to make that baby go fast. Uh, but I don't know. I, I mean, I learned so much from my teammates uh, over the years. You know, uh, sometimes it's not about being just fast. You're able to manage the, some of the speeds, you know, give and take. And I, I, I feel that I, I'm able to learn over the years through my, uh, my teammates. And that's probably why it keeps me up going fast. And I love the challenge. I love that. I love when sure. we have a, a very strong uh, teammate that you can push the heck out of it, you know? So this is, it makes me, I think that's probably my, and I, and I, and I enjoy being around with the team. I know that in racing, people think it's just one guy that like right there driving. I might be the one carrying all the glory, but if I don't have a good crew chief, if I don't have a good engineer or, or a good team, I won't be able to win, win those races. So I know how when to recognize uh, uh, my guys. And that's, I think it's part of my skill. Understand that they're, uh, I can't do this alone. Got it. Well, I guess, you know, talking about that and talking about learning, like for you, who's had the biggest influence on your career? Well, my father is uh, a big one. He never, even though he didn't have the best um, equipment or the best car, he knew me to give the best what I can do in those conditions. And that definitely, um, instead of finding, um, you know, obstacles, you just find a way to jump those obstacles and, and moving on. Uh, and that he is one of the biggest one. Um, and I, I feel that, and obviously my boss, Roger Prince is another one. He is just absolutely incredible, such an amazing experience. And I cannot, I, I don't think I ever met a person that also passionate about racing as me. So he is, uh, he is an, a, a great inspiration for everyone. Absolutely. Well, well, Elio, just as we're wrapping up here in a second, I just have two more questions for you. And, and one being, if we had to take a look at something you believed at 21 that you don't believe now, what would you say that is? Look, let me tell you, I, I think uh, over the years, you learn so much. I think a mind that's simple, don't complicate things. It can go really far. But as, as always, I keep my mind open to learn whether it's true or not. I'll learn it maybe the hardest way. So Probably that's one of my uh, 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 bad behavior that I I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't believe on everything. Just coming back on that, I believe the twenty one, whatever the heck you're talking about. But I just think uh, uh, you know people say about the technology of the cars and think uh, might not the future of racing might be just electrical cars and things like that. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I believe that. Um, uh, True racers, they're going to be racing no matter what, what it is. But I feel that, you know, the cars are still going to be running noise uh, and, and still going to be out there. Uh, if it happens, it will happen probably in the next generation that we won't be here at all. Well, Elio, if we were far in the future and, you know, you could be the one to decide what your legacy looks like, you know, what does that legacy you leave behind look like? Oh boy, man! I I just want to people think that everything I did, I did with passion, with love. I know I push it to uh, always be a good person, and I, I I try to be a great dad to my my daughter. Hopefully, uh, she can see that. I know when she gets becoming a teenager, probably will be the the worst person, and and but hopefully that uh, that won't happen. But it, you know, if you if you if you do good things, good, good things are gonna happen to good people, and. Uh, but hopefully we'll be, we'll be in good shape. Got it. Well, Elio, this has been amazing. So I appreciate you hanging out with us today. And also thank you to David from Team Penske for helping to set this up. So thank you so much for coming on the Create Your Own Life show today. Hey, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And hopefully um, 
everybody enjoy it. Absolutely. And where's the best place for our listeners to connect with you? They can uh, go to my, uh, you know, uh, Twitter account uh, or also uh, uh, Instagram. And I do have a website, elucastronavs.com. They can send messages as well. So love to to respond to them as well. Awesome. Well, Elio Castroneves, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on the Create Your Own Life show. Thanks, man. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this extraordinary interview with Elio Castroneves. I hope you guys were able to learn a lot of what I was able to learn. I think the interesting thing is how he's able to perform at a high level, at a high speed, and to do that. And I think these are things that you can move into any area of your life, no matter what you're doing, whether it's um, in your business, whether it's in your personal life. You know, there's definitely some some unpackable things in here um, that can be adapted, whether it's how you make decisions, how you process things, um, how you operate. So I, I think there's a lot to, to go into here. So if you want to follow Elio, he is at Elio Castro Neves uh, on all social platforms. So be sure to do that. Um, if you are getting a lot out of these interviews, then do me a favor and uh, head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening, and subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about this show. Uh, shout us out on social. I am at Jeremy Ryan Slate. And if you are listening to this Apple podcast, be sure to leave us a review because that is one of the big things that helps more people to know about us and uh, helps us make an impact. Also, please support the pre-launch campaign of my new uh, book, Extraordinary. It's a Kickstarter we have going on. We have some incredible offers as well as uh, pre-order offers of the book, which is going to really unpack many of the extraordinary things that we have learned from people like Elio Castroneves and uh, our previous guest, Bedros Koulian. So you can check that out over at jeremyryanslate.com slash extraordinary. Be sure to do that now. Go grab your copy today. Share that with your family and friends and go be extraordinary. Extraordinary.